The scripture reading from Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death, lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the word of the Lord. Well, we're going to see how we go. Uh, happy Mother's Day. And of course, the cynic in me automatically goes, well, of course, you know, florists and card makers all want to have multiple days so that people have to spend money to give to people. But it's good to celebrate moms or mums. It's good to recognize them. And it's days like this that it's bittersweet, really. That it's full of joy, but it's also full of anguish. That there are, are moms who wake up and they have cards and they have flowers and they have breakfast in bed and they are enjoying those things and then there are those who've never had that and have desired it for their whole lives. There are those who have sons and daughters who've died and are no longer present. There are those who never got to say hello to that baby that wasn't born. And so we step into places like this and say, what's the language that we can use? What, how do we even come to grips with the agony that is present? And that's why we've chosen to do a series for four weeks on lament because we really believe that it is God's gift to us to have a process, a language to speak to God with all that we are in our pain and agony and anguish and that God, in fact, gave it to us as a gift so that we can speak it. Jamie Wright is a missionary former missionary. She has a blog called The World's Worst Missionary. And on January of this year, her 18-year-old son succumbed to his struggle with mental illness by taking his own life. And she wrote this. I used to think that if I ever lost a child, 
I would simply curl up in a ball on the floor and will my own heart to stop beating. But it turns out it doesn't really work that way. Your broken heart. It just keeps... effing on. You can fill in the blank there if you're not innocent. said, sorry, but you don't really get a choice. You keep waking up and you keep breathing and your heart keeps beating and because your blood hasn't stopped moving through your body, your stomach gets hungry and then your mouth eats. This is how it goes. Your sad little heart becomes a force of nature. Despite the depths of its wounds, it just keeps going and then the rest of your body has to follow. You eat, you sleep, you sit and stand and walk, you smile and eventually you laugh. It's like your heart knows that if it keeps on going, so will you. And your heart hasn't forgotten how good it is to be in the world. So it pushes on, propelling you along to the fridge and the shower and a family dinner and coffee with a friend. And doing these things, your spirit catches up with what your heart already knows. It's pretty good to be alive. I guess what I'm getting at is that if you too are mired in the early days of unimaginable loss, the only thing to do is follow your heart, then listen to your body and keep effing going. That's lament. That's the language that God has given all of us to be able to step into the place. And so last week we talked about lament being an act of worship. And we know that it leads us to certain places. And today we're going to dig deep into it taking us to a place of trust. See, a cry for help to God from within our situations of distress only arise from trust that God is faithful to hear and responds in our cries. Really, as Christina DeVos describes the lament, she says it is praise from the depths. So turn again and look at Psalm 13. And notice and remember that last week we talked about what does lament look like. It starts with an address to God and then it comes with our complaints and then there's a request and then what takes place is worship or trust. We see that happening here in this psalm. He says, how long, O Lord? So he addresses God and says, how long, O Lord? And then he gives his complaints. Will you forget me forever? Will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my own soul, in the sorrow of my heart all day? How long, God, shall my enemies be exalted over me? He screams out and says, how long, O Lord, will this take place? It's lovely to hear Shirley speak for us, isn't it? And, and say the words of, uh, of God. And her nice little lilt just kind of carries off. Listen, this is David. This is how it sounds, just to prepare you. How long? How long, oh Lord? And then he moves and he says... After he's done his complaints, he says, consider this and answer me. But it's not, consider this and answer me. It's, God, where are you? Answer me. Right now. Right now. 
Am I going to die? Do I sleep death before you recognize what's going on with me? He tries to, tries to, tries to trick God a little bit. He says, my foes, which by the way are your foes, are going to rejoice. So if you want to prove yourself to be true, God, you better get on the stick. And then he goes to trust, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. That's the language that we have that's been given to us by God, and yet we're afraid to step into that language often. Often we're afraid to step into that place of laments. We're worried that people might hear us and they'll wonder if something's wrong, that maybe our faith isn't strong enough. Listen, faith is strongest when we lament. And here's the reason why, because lament leads us to trust. It moves us to trust first because it causes us to seek. It moves us to trust because it causes us to speak. It moves us to trust because of how we receive in lament. And it moves us towards trust because we rest. So, so let's go back to that. How do we seek? What does it look like? The basic assumption of lament is this, that God is not absent, that he is faithful. Lament presumes this, that God is an active hearer, that he's attentive, and though it might seem like he's silent, he is there. And so it causes us to seek Lament gives us the language to call out. The first step of lament is always address, an address to God. God, Yahweh, Father, Mighty One, Creator of the world, whoever you are, the one that keeps ignoring me. But by doing that, by saying that, it is clearly an understanding that God is attentive and He's hearing. And so our hearts in our pain and our grief and our anger move to a place of seeking. Of saying, God, are you still there? It's me, Lee, calling out again. And so the first thing that lament does is it causes us to seek. That, that, that's what the psalmist is doing here. He's saying, how long, O Lord? Are you there? Do you hear me? Do you see me? Lord, I'm looking for you. I'm searching for you. I want to find you. Oh Lord, where are you at? And so as we move towards trust, it's that belief that I cannot seek something I don't believe that's not there. I'm looking for something deep down in my heart, even though in all of my anguish I want to deny it with everything that I am. I want to go ahead and rest in the despair, but for some reason my heart keeps beating and I move to the fridge, as Jamie says. I can't help but seek because you must be there. The second thing it does is it moves us towards trust we speak. Put in parentheses if you're writing down notes. Truthfully. We don't just speak those nice little sayings, well, God's always present, doesn't give me more than I can handle. We speak truthfully. By God's Spirit, we scream out in our anger, in our fear, in our grief. 
Because we know that when we show those to God, he can transform them. See, we've sought him and now we need to speak truthfully to him. John Calvin wrote it this way when he was talking about it. He says this, We are all too apt at such times to shut up our affliction in our breast. A circumstance which can only aggravate the trouble and embitterment the mind against God. In contrast, a better way is disburdening our cares to Him and thus, as we were, pouring out our hearts before Him. Too often, what happens is we believe that God's created only good emotions and those bad emotions are from Satan. God created you completely, all of who you are, and every bit that you think and feel. That every emotion was crafted before the foundation of the world by God. And not only that, in Christ, he experienced every single one of those. And so by doing that, he shows forth to us that every emotion I feel, everything that I will encounter, is blessed and originated by him. So it's not as if God says, just come to me with your happy little stories. God says, scream at me like you want me dead. He wants to hold on to all that he's put in you. Listen, when the Apostle Paul says, in your anger, do not sin, he didn't say anger is a sin. We tend to go back and go, anger is a sin. No, in your anger, do not sin. Yes, there's places where we allow our emotions maybe to run roughshod over the idols in our hearts and sit on our thrones, and we say, nope, and we become embittered in despair. But lament gives us the language to move into trust because we speak honestly, truthfully with the Father and the one who created all those emotions. And so we come to a place where we unburden our heart, as it were. We show forth everything that we have. We say, I can't possibly believe in you anymore if this is how life is going to continue to happen. Do you hear me, God? But by doing that, we allow ourselves not to put them in nice little boxes away. You probably don't remember the movie Gremlins. And it was a, a, a magua, a little beautiful, little fuzzy, little Furby type thing. That's a callback too. Jeez, I'm so old. <laughs> and in that little Furby, he would sit there and he was cute and lovely. I think that's what we do sometimes with our emotions. And particularly the ones that we don't want other people to see that seep out, they'll, they'll come out and we'll go, oh, that's my cute little anger over there. Don't mess with it. <laughs> but what tends to happen when we're not honest about what it is, is it's like getting water on the magua. And he becomes a gremlin. He boils up and becomes this hideous, ugly seeker of destruction. Too often what we do with our emotions is we bottle them up and we package them really nicely and we set them aside and say, God can deal with all good things, but he can't possibly handle that. 
And then something happens in our life and water drops on it. And it grows and grows and grows. And then the person we're most angry with or we're most frustrated with or we're most sad with is God, but it comes out in everybody else around us because we've not sought after God and spoken to him truthfully. He knows what you're feeling because he created that feeling. Don't deny it. Allow it to come. When you are crushed, feel crushed. When you are angry, feel angry. When you are joyful, dance a song, a jig in front of a song. Allow your emotions to have full growth to blossom forth because they give testimony to who God is, the creator of all then. And so when we are in lament, we must speak honestly and say, I don't understand this. I don't get it. I'm really angry at you. I wish I could just die. How long, oh Lord? Why is that? It's because when we shed our tears before God, it moves us towards deeper trust in the midst of those tears. See, the final declaration of trust is not dependent on having our situation fixed or immediately resolved. Trusting God promises that, or promises that underline the whole Psalms of lament is this, that there is hope, that God is present, and that I can make my plea to him as honestly as I ever could. So the first thing we do in lament we seek, and that leads us to trust. We speak truthfully, and that leads us to trust. But we also receive, and that leads us to trust. What does he say here? But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. That word, steadfast love, is a beautiful word. It is called hased, is the Hebrew word. And it varies translated this way. It refers to the Lord's covenantal love, His steadfast love, His faithfulness, His kindness that is promised to Israel. We receive His steadfast love. In the Psalm of Lament that we are just reading there in Psalm 13, there is an expectation of God's hased. And even when it doesn't appear right away, it is still there. It is waiting for it to happen. Believing that it will come. Hased is this. That before the foundation of the world, I've created you and I've known you. That the world has fallen apart, but I will pursue you and bring you back into whole relationship with myself and with yourself and with all others in place. It says that no matter what happens in the pain that you experience, the anger that you throw at me, I will continue to come for you. I will pursue you to the ends of the world, that I will sacrifice all so that I can bring you in to an understanding of my love for you. That nothing will separate you from my love. And so we receive it. We have to go to it and say, I, I can't get there myself. There's no way possible for me to get there because right now I'm just too angry with you, God, but I'll receive it. 
In our lament, we can do that. We can say words that we don't necessarily even believe yet. Not so that we can just fake it till we make it, but because by saying them, it's a prayer for God to change and transform our hearts. And so we say, I'll trust in your steadfast love. I'll trust in your steadfast love. I'll trust in your steadfast love. And in doing that, we're receiving it, being spoken into our hearts and our minds and all that we are. And that leads us to trust. The last thing that lament does for us that leads us to trust is we rest. We have to move to a place of rest. Miroslav Volv is one of my favorite theologians. And when he's talking about rage that comes up in our lives, he says this. Rage belongs before God. Not in a reflective, managed, and manicured form of a confession, but as a pre-reflective outburst from the depths of our soul. Not from going, now Lord, I want to confess to you that I've been angry with my neighbor. (laughs) And here's the five reasons why. Could you smite them? but by simply just going there are no words he says there is no mere cathartic discharge of pent-up aggression before the almighty who ought to care much more significantly when we bring our rage is by placing our unattended rage before god we place both our unjust enemy and our own vengeful self-face to face with the God who loves us and does justice. You see, when we walk before God and we say, Father, not happy. What are you going to do about it? I keep getting pushed around. What are you going to do about it? In the midst of this, I'm going to try and trust you. We fall. Lament allows us to move to the end of ourselves. And at the end of ourselves, all that is left, because we've given it all out, is to fall flat and rest. To fall flat because we cannot do any more. We cannot contend anymore with this world. We cannot contend with God anymore. There's no way we could possibly say another word or breathe in another breath, and we fall flat. And it's in that that we rest, believing that God moves in and can transform. And so, in lament, we move to trust because we rest. We rest knowing this, that lament trust that despite the pain that's in the world right now, God acts in the present through Jesus' resurrection and by the sending of His Holy Spirit, that we're not alone, and that God will act in the future through the ultimate redemption and restoration of all creation. When Jesus was on earth, His proclamations of the kingdom and His death and the resurrection signify an anticipated end to lament. But we've not gotten there yet. We're supposed to lament. See, Jesus prayed, lamentful prayers he provides God's answers to Israel's lamentful prayers and in Christ we are guaranteed the ultimate end of lament 
in the completion of all things and His complete glorification where all things are made new as they always were. And it's because of that we can rest. Knowing that it's coming, not some future hope, but one that is already residing presently within us because we ourselves are in Christ. The beauty is we don't do it alone. The beauty is that we don't do it alone. How do we know that? Well, where's Psalm 13 found? In the Bible, but in the book of Psalm. And what is the book of Psalm? Well, the book of Psalm is a songbook. A songbook that was used for personal reflection? No, although it can be. It's a songbook that was used for the nation of Israel to sing songs to one another about the Lord Almighty. And so we know that when we're talking about lament and this language that God has given us, yes, it affects us deeply and personally. But we also need to recognize that it is not done by ourselves. That in fact, God gives us that language to do it corporately. Not corporately necessarily, always and forever within our gathering, but corporately together to those that God brings into our lives who are with us and for us and know us, who we know and understand and love, that cause us to cry out together, to rejoice together and to mourn together, that God didn't put you here by yourself. He made you for himself and for each other. That's the reason why these, these, the, the lyrics of this song called Come Close Now by the artist Krista Wells, I think, sums up how we feel when we encounter lament and what needs to happen. It's someone singing to a friend who is hurting. And they say this. I'm afraid of the space where you suffer. Where you sit in the smoke and the burn. I can't handle the choke or the danger of my own foolish, inadequate words. I'll be right outside if you need me. Right outside what can I bring to your fire? Shall I sing while the roof is coming down? Can I hold you while the flames grow higher? Shall I brave the heat and come close to you now? Can I come close to you now? So we left you to fight your own battle and you buried your hope with your faith because you heard no song of deliverance there on the nights that followed the wake. We never, though, Never thought to go with you, afraid to ask. What can I bring to your fire? Shall I sing while the roof is coming down? Can I hold you while the flames grow higher? Shall I brave the heat and come close to you now? Can I come close to you now? Lay down our plans. Lay down our surefire fixes. Grief's going to stay a while. There is no cure for this. We watch for return. We speak what we've heard. We sit together in the burn. What can I bring to your fire? Shall I sing while the roof is coming down? Shall I hold you while flames grow higher? Shall I brave the heat and come close to you now? Can I come close to you now?
when we just stay in complaint. When we've addressed God and we just stay in complaint, we run the risk of despair. And in despair, we forget to look for God. And we lose faith. Sometimes our eyes cannot open because the smoke burns too much. But the Father has placed you with others who have open eyes to see God working and take you to that place. So if you are here and in the midst of pain or sorrow or righteous anger, know that you are not alone. And that while God may not be seen or felt or heard to you, there are those around you that hear him singing his love song so loudly. Not to say, don't think and feel those things, but to help you embrace them and move towards glorious rest in who he is. Let me pray for us. Father, let these words be your words. It is scary to think about lament. It is scary to think of trusting you, especially when we are in pain, when we see the world falling down around us. And so first, Father, thank you for spirit which guides us and leads us to be able to even call out your name, even in our groaning. And thank you for putting others around us who love you and love us. Let us walk into the fire with one another because you walked into the fire for us. Father, we give you glory and honor. Let the words that are not yours burn up and those words that are yours, let them take root in our heart and bear good fruit to bring you glory and honor. It's in your name we pray. Amen. As you stand, we're going to sing the song that we sing.